This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast, powered by BetMGM. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy. It's a special all-listener topic episode, the mailbag edition, the Mm mid-season mailbag. You have provided the topics, the questions for us. Before we get into that, I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on uh, the the additions to the NHL All-Star Weekend, the format of the skills competition, the fountain game and the blackjack. Are you feeling it? I'm feeling it. I'm particularly feeling the fact that in the press release for the fountain one, they were like, there may be spray affecting the players. I love that like it's going to be kind of like just wild like that, where it's like, yeah, anything could happen. They're just going to get sprayed in the face. That'd be awesome. I love that Menon Riom and Wyatt Russell are going to be goalies um, for the breakaway challenge, because I always felt like you needed a real goalie, but not like, even though Carey Price always had fun with it. Yes. Um, you want the goals to go in for the most part, for but sure. you don't want it to be a cakewalk. So I think this is perfect where you get actual goalies, but not NHL goalies. Yeah. So that's super fun for me as well. I love it as well. I, I, I wonder if any player is going to slip during the fountain game. Like There's some liability problems there. But oh, the, the blackjack one I love, especially yep. it was a tweet. It, I, I forgot who tweeted it, but there was a funny tweet just saying, you know, in five years, the NHL has gone from not wanting Vegas to name the team the Aces because of gambling right. to literally playing blackjack on the ice, which I'm all for. I, I just think it sounds so much fun. I don't want it to be an only when the All-Star Games in Vegas thing. I want it to just be a thing sure. at all times. It would also be awesome if somebody like got 12 on their first two and were like, I'm going to stay. <laughs> And I guess we can just be thankful that Vander Kane is not an all-star. Hey-o! Had to, had to go there. It's just, it's it. too, the dots burn. are just waiting to be connected there. Kane yeah. Byrne. Okay, so we are going to launch into the special edition. All the questions are from our listeners. And it feels appropriate. Probably our most consistent question asker of mm. the last couple years. Ranton and Raven gets the first question. There you go. He probably submitted five. I'm sure he, usually, he or she submits usually a bunch. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, whoever they are, we're going to give the first question to All them. Right. Okay, so Anthony Raven asks, is there a goalie Edmonton can realistically acquire at the trade deadline that would, one, number one, improve the situation, number two, not cost them a first-round pick and or Philip Broberg? Mm. Good question, because, of course, the Oilers, if they want to stay alive, they're going to have to improve their goaltending. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're talking Marc-Andre Fleury is the main goalie target out there, well, to me, you can't go for him if, if you want to meet the criteria here from yeah. Ranton and Raven because Fleury's probably going to cost you a first-round pick and or a good prospect. The other names I'm looking at, maybe Braden Holtby having a good year in Dallas. The Stars are in a weird situation where maybe they're contending, but they still have Jake Ottinger. They could always bring Anton Kidobin back up, True. who's really too good to be buried at the moment overall. So you could sell off Holtby, whose contract is expiring. But again, is he having too good of a year? Mm. And also, hope he's, he's not that old. Like He's still got a lot of fight left in him. So maybe that's a first-round pick. Is it a second-round pick in Raphael Lavoie? Something, mm. like, something like that. But the more realistic names I'm, I'm thinking of, I have two. And it's Yaroslav Halak, Thomas Grice. So based on Vancouver and Detroit, where they are in the standings, they're not out of the hunt, but they're not really in the hunt either, mm-hmm. especially Detroit. And both are expiring deals. Both would be clear upgrades over what Edmonton has had so far. So mm. that my official answer, maybe I'm leaving not enough meat on the bone here for you. I'm naming lots of names, yeah. which is a bit of a, a, a douche move by me. But <laughs> hey, 
What can you do? Yeah. Well, Thomas Grace was my name that came to the top. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, he's a free agent in the summer. And, you know, contract is not too onerous in terms of cap space. Detroit's out of it. Uh, you know, they might as well get something for his services. But the thing that really attracted me to Grice for the purposes of this question is he's been a really good playoff goaltender. Now, the Edmonton Oilers need to qualify for said playoffs, which means they need to get over the Calgary Flames. And they also have to hope that Dallas doesn't get hot in the Central because then you could go five Central teams and only three in mm-hmm. the Pacific, in which case Edmonton is 86th. But... If the Edmonton Oilers make the playoffs, Grice would be a guy who has shown off very well. Uh, he has great numbers for the most part. And, uh, you know, he's, he's had pretty recent experience when, when he was with the Islanders. Having said that, you know, if he gets a couple of good starts for the Oilers, maybe he helps propel them into the playoffs. Um, so, and, to, and, and, you know, as you mentioned, like for Grice, I don't think you need a first rounder. I think maybe you can do like a second or a third rounder and mm-hmm. a prospect, a sort of, you know, a mid-range guy, not Philip Broberg. And I, I think that could get it done. Yeah, that's fair. And the other name I know has been thrown out there a lot all season is Eunice Corpusala. But that's a strange one to me because... I really think he's overrated based on one playoff series against the Leafs, which mm. you know got a lot of national play. His career save percentage is 903. Mm. Are you really getting an upgrade if you bring Corpusallo to Edmonton? And Corpusallo on those John Tortorella teams, they had really strong defensive structure True. and they limited the quality of chances as well. So yeah. I don't know if that's actually the piece you'd want to go for if you're Ken Holland. Okay, next question is from Eric Dees. And Ryan, you're gonna get the floor first so right. I don't steal every one of your answers this right. time, okay? So Eric Dees wants to know which top six forward will the Rangers trade for? Well, you know, the name that really comes to the top for me is Phil Kessel. And, you know, the Rangers, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast this year. They're in a really good spot in terms of the salary cap right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have a lot of space. So if you're talking about a top six guy, you know, I mean, they've got their centers pretty good. There's not a lot of great centers on the market. But Phil Kessel in Arizona, he's on the market. And he can really help strengthen. Um, I, I think, you know, that you have him on the right side. Um, you know, because right now they got like Barclay Goodrow uh, playing a top six role. And, you know, I mean, things move around. He's not always going to be there. But, you know, you get Kessel in that top six with Panarin and Kreider and Zabanajad, you know, and Strom. I mean, that's pretty hot. And then you move guys down where, you know, I know we're going to talk about Alexi Lafreniere later, but, you know, if you had him in a bottom six role, uh, that's, that's quite the luxury you would have there. So I, Assuming Kessel would be okay with the bright spotlight of Manhattan, to me, he would be the most obvious choice. Okay. See, I thought you were going to take mine, but you didn't. Uh, For me, I am going to go center because if you look at after, you know, uh, Mika Zbanejad and Ryan Strom, I think they get really thin at center. Mm We talked about that on the podcast before, because basically because Philip Keedle didn't pan out, right? So to me... I would say Thomas Herdel is the ideal fit, especially if you can sign him as part of the trade. Like you said, the Rangers, their cap situation is looking pretty good. Um, and then you can have him. That makes you really strong up the middle. Maybe Ryan Strom drops down to the third line, or you let Thomas Herdel drive his own line. He's really good at both ends of the ice. Uh, the other guy I would look at is Claude Giroux as well, because like again, Rangers said, that's a, like you said about the Rangers, that's a team that can afford it cap-wise. Right. And Giroux can play the wing or center. So if... You do want to drop Lafreniere down. You could put Drew on the left wing where he played for a while with Sean Couturier. He's still effective at center as well if you want him to drive his own line. Maybe he's your third line center, but he still plays special teams, that kind of thing. So to me... But can you imagine the Flyers 
Trading Giroud to the Rangers? Yeah, it's not ideal. But hey, it's not the Penguins. It's not the Penguins. And if the Flyers are out of it, you got to put your ego aside. Especially because Giroud's an expiring contract. So if you trade him with the Rangers, I haven't looked at the schedule, but it's possible that Philly doesn't even play New York the rest of the year. And then he goes and signs with, you know, the Ottawa Senators in the offseason. Right. So, and you're not facing them in the playoffs. So you really don't have to deal with the repercussions of moving Giroud. I've always been a person who thinks that the, you know, trade within your division thing is is overrated. And I think if the trade is right, teams can put aside their pride and they can do it. I don't, you're, I'm, you're skeptical. I can I'm see just it saying, in your eyes. I, I'm just saying there's there's certain markets, Philadelphia being one of them, where I think that would be inex- they, they would regard that as inexcusable. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Just saying. All right. Next question is from Carl Jupiter, and Carl wants to know which teams would be a good fit for Jeff Petrie. Well, I, I could be a douche about it and just say none. Uh, <laughs> it is a tough sell. He's 34 years old. Yeah. He's got four years left on his contract, $6.25 million. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder, I don't know whether it's it's psychological, just seeing his bloodshot eyes in the playoffs, but I feel like that run just took a lot <laughs> out of Jeff Petrie him. emotionally. This year, obviously, we saw his wife was tweeting about how people have written horrible things in his DMs or her DMs. Um, so it seems like the life has sort of been drained from Jeff yeah. Petrie. Uh, and he had so much juice just a year ago, right? Yeah. As, a, as a very underrated puck mover who's effective at both ends of the ice. Uh, so to me, but I, I obviously, Carl, I want to try and play along here. So I think there's a scenario in which you can maybe pull it off. We know it's, it's being reported. I think this week that Petrie wants a trade. Kent Hughes has already indicated he's willing to move Petrie if, if a deal comes up. Maybe if someone is willing to strike a deal in which the Habs eat 50% of the salary, you could do it. Yep. And I also see a couple scenarios in which a team that has a bad contract of its own could send that contract to Montreal. Mm. So the example I'm thinking of is Colorado. Eric Johnson, one year left after this one, at $6 million. Montreal would be willing to take that deal on because it's not the same as having four years left of Jeff Petrie. And I believe Eric Johnson is younger than Jeff Petrie, if I'm not mistaken. They're close, but Probably. I think he's a little bit younger. So that's an example where Colorado might be willing to do it because they're moving out Eric Johnson, they're getting a better player, and they do have to take on a couple extra years, but maybe Montreal eats some salaries. So Colorado mm. would be the example I would think of for this question. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look at this in a, a sort of different light, which is what if Jeff Petrie could be reinvigorated in another market where he doesn't have to do so much heavy lifting? And... Yeah, the contract considerations obviously huge. So you're talking about Montreal, you know, keeping some salary, or you know, the return is like basically zero. It's like a seventh rounder or something. But you know, I'm looking at teams like Boston or Minnesota, where you know they're good teams. They're going to face even better teams in the playoffs. So you want to have as many weapons as possible. You know, Boston. I mean, we've talked about their blue line being very thin, other mm-hmm. than Charlie McAvoy, obviously. Um, and, you, you know, you bring in a, a veteran like Petrie. And I know I'm sort of going against my own uh, thing here with Montreal-Boston trading. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Hey. But, I mean, Montreal, it's like, they, they know. They know, <laughs> they know they're bad. You know, they, they know they're not going to see the playoffs for, like, years. Um, and Minnesota, you know, they have a pretty solid blue line right now. But, again, you know, in that central division, you get to the playoffs, you know, injuries are a consideration. You want to be as deep as possible. If you could add Petrie and have it not cost you very much, 
maybe it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And I know I've seen some people suggesting Detroit because that would be Petrie's hometown team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't see the fit because Eiserman, again, Steve Eiserman's been very adamant about the fact that if he's making trades, he's not taking on veterans with a lot of term and money left. Yeah. He wants upside, young upside. So yeah. I don't see that happening at all. Okay, next question is from Showtime Baby. I wonder if it is it Showtime Baby or Showtime Baby? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but Showtime Baby wants to know what is the weirdest weirdest media box? I think this means press box. Yeah. What is the weirdest press box experience you've ever had? Great question. It's a great question. And we were talking about this uh, yesterday in preparation for the podcast. For me, and this is actually, I'm going to give you a twofer because it was the same tournament. Wow. Uh, the first time I covered the World Juniors was in Saskatoon. And the uh, press box, it wasn't actually a press box. It was actually like the best seats in the house. They cordoned off uh, one section of uh, like the first seats. uh, So like for the press. So, I mean, it was amazing. Like we were high enough up that you could see the whole rink. I saw the John Carlson goal, like spotless. Um, But two things happened. One was, you know, for those who don't know, there's no cheering in the press box. But because this was a double IHF event, you had media members, but then you also had PR members. So you had like some of the PR guys from, I won't say what European country it was, and it's probably not the one you expect, but the guy was losing his mind every time his team scored, like jumping up and like, yeah, which is not usually something you see in a press box. The other one was a reporter who will remain nameless coming down with like literally as much food as you could possibly get. You know, you get those like cardboard section containers, as much food as you could get. And then he had enlisted some poor volunteer kid from the tournament to follow him with another huge like armful of food. This guy had like an entire buffet coming down to his seat. And uh, it was just like one of those like, you see it and you're just like, what? And with his own minion. He had his own, yeah, his, his own, like, kid, like, <laughs> this is like, and they had awesome volunteers there, and apparently one of their jobs was hauling food for veteran reporters. That poor volunteer. Here's I your know. dinner, sir. Yeah. Those are good ones. I have, uh, both of mine actually relate to cheering the press box. There's one in which we had a hockey news intern who was going to a game a few years ago, and... Uh, <laughs> this one, I don't, like I'll say, this one was the Leafs. Like, he was going to a Leafs game. Yeah. And whoever, whatever THN's, like, main staffer was supposed to go, something came up, so he couldn't go. So the intern went by himself. And then on Monday, we get a call from the Leafs being like, uh, there was some kid in the press box wearing a Leaf jersey cheering for the game. And we were like, oh, my God. Oh, no. Yeah, so that was the Nobody told awkward. him the rules. Yes, yes. Uh, but the, the best one, uh, I'll try to tell us. Okay, I'm not going to say what city it is. I'm not going to say what reporter it is and what player it is. But I'm in a city for an important game, a playoff game, okay? And I'm sitting between a reporter and on t- to my left and to my right is a player who used to play for this team and is now in the media, mm. okay? And every time this team scored, the player was getting up going, yeah, yeah. And then the reporter decided, you know what? I'm going to call the player Buddy. This is really hard. so hard not to say names. But the reporter was like, Buddy, you can't be cheering in the press box anymore. Yeah. You can't. You're part of the media now. Like you can't do this. Rule. You just can't. 
So the reporter decided to, you know, wade into the waters and, and tell the player this. The player was not happy. And the player went absolutely nuts through one of the biggest hissy fits I've ever seen. The player was like, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. You're effing dead to me. Don't call me. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me ever again. You're effing dead to me, bro. You're dead to me. And just absolutely lost it. And I was in the middle and I was like, oh my God, guys, guys, guys. And I was saying, I tried to break it up. I was saying to the player, I was like, dude, He's just trying to help you. You're going to get in trouble for this. It's yeah. not a good look for you. He's trying to do you a favor to tell you this yep. so you don't embarrass yourself. And the guy was like, I don't care. I don't care. He's having debt to me. And then he stormed off. And I've never seen that player again at another event in a press box. So you can yeah. try and decide for yourself who the player blind is and what I, team it was. Blind yeah. items. I will, yeah, we're yeah. going to set Twitter on fire. Hopefully today. I didn't slip up and drop anything. I don't think I did. Did I, Stephen? Did I drop any names? All right, I did. Yeah. It's a mystery. You'll never know. Well, maybe someone will figure Honestly, it out. Honestly, we don't even remember their name. <laughs> okay, so although I wouldn't care, that intern was not a, a nice human being, so I wouldn't really care if, if we dropped that intern's name by accident. Okay, so next question is Joel Reinhoff. Joel wants to know which player has fallen below expectations the most this year. Uh, for me, it's Elias Patterson in Vancouver. Mm. Um, just he's so talented and. He, his ability with the puck, his skating, his just dynamic skill set, I don't understand why he hasn't produced. And I especially expected him to start blowing up as soon as Bruce Boudreau took over because mm -hmm. that's Boudreau's thing. A, offense, and B, unlocking players' potential. And it hasn't really happened so far. There's been fits and starts of production. Yeah. Um, but to me, what, what's really concerning is just looking at the under-the-hood numbers. It's not like, oh, he's just, he has a low shooting percentage, he's unlucky. He's really not generating as many chances, shots, all those things this year. Mm. Um, even just little things like his number of penalties drawn per 60 minutes is way down. So to me, that says he's not getting to the high-danger areas mm. where he's forcing people to take penalties on him, right? So... To me, that's been the biggest disappointment this year. Mm. See, this is funny. I thought the answer was really obvious, and so I had a backup answer. But now I'm just going to say Philip Grubauer in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Um, Good one. You know, I, I was all ready to say, like, well, Jamie Benn, you know, is maybe he's finally cooked. Who knows? But, yeah, Philip Grubauer, obviously, you know, when the Kraken had their, uh, their roster set and they signed Grubauer, I mean, it was shocking when it happened. And then it was like, ooh, I mean, Seattle's going to have – you know, a Vesna caliber goaltender. He had just been a finalist for the award, and it's like, ooh. And then Chris Dreger was coming in as well, and Chris Dreger had a pretty good year with Florida. Um, but obviously, Grubauer has had some some mighty struggles for the Kraken. And, you know, I mean, a new team coming together with what we thought was going to be a pretty decent defense. Um, you know, Grubauer's just not gotten the results. And it's it feels like it's getting a little better, but statistically... Uh, you know, he's been way below what I think anybody had predicted. I mean, maybe there were some advanced stats people out there that, that did not believe. Uh, but I think for the most part, people were like, hey, solid goaltender. Might yeah, not sure. be as good as he was in Colorado because the abs were, you know, barn burners. But he was still going to be pretty good. That has not been the case. Absolutely. I still remember a, a funny Philip Grubauer story when I did a big feature on him a couple of years ago where uh, he was telling me he loves to ski so much. So it was this constant tease. He lives in the Rocky Mountains right. being, looking out his window like, oh, he wasn't allowed to ski during the season. Just such a tease. Uh, okay, next question is from Paul Samuelson. And Ryan, you get the floor first on this right. one. What can be made about Alexi Lafreniere's career so far? Mm. Well, I mean, it is still early, but I would say it's been... You know, we're, we're still kind of waiting for that pop to come. 
And it certainly doesn't help that he's on a Rangers team that has a lot of top six talent, especially on the wings where he plays. So I think that is, you know, that is held back opportunities in a sense uh, where it's not like as a number one overall pick, usually you're going to a bad team. And the Rangers were not a bad team, you know, structurally. So he didn't get those sort of opportunities where he could make a lot of mistakes and it didn't really matter. I mean, the Rangers, you know, they rebounded very quickly. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's been a part of it where he's been kind of a bit player on that team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, him and Capo Caco, obviously with the pandemic as well, you know, we talked about this last week on the on the podcast where, you know, there's there's players that need a bit of time before they can become, you know, legit NHLers. And you almost have to subtract a year, almost like with Quentin Byfield, where he missed so many games due to the pandemic yeah. that, you know, if we originally thought he would be an impact player at, say, 20, now we're saying 21, you know, that sort of thing. So I think with Lafreniere, it would be great to see him next season really kind of explode. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't by then, then I think you have to say, okay, well, now what is his ceiling? You know, we thought it was X, now it might be Y. Right. Yeah, I think you make really good points there, and especially when it comes to the pandemic. And I've, I've written about this at length. Um, to me, you can make a case that Lafreniere is the player most affected by the pandemic so mm -hmm. far. So he played his last, last game of Major Junior March 8th, 2020. He played his next game of organized hockey January 14, 2021. Ten months, more than ten months between games. Mm. No hockey. The Rangers made what I think is a big mistake, and I, I tweeted this at the time when they held him out of the World Juniors. Mm. There's no preseason in the 2021 NHL season, so he stepped onto the ice for his first NHL game, had not played one second of competitive organized hockey in ten months. He had no chance. If they, if they had sent him to the World Juniors, he at least would have gotten some best-on-best -best action, yeah. action with his own age group, get his confidence back up, get the equivalent of his reps in for the preseason mm. instead he comes in completely cold no hockey in his life for almost a year and he struggles horribly mm. and it has carried over on certain level to this year if you look at his numbers what's most concerning is you can't say like with like it was with Jack Hughes oh it's bad puck luck mm -hmm. Jack Hughes had an un characteristically tiny shooting percentage so you knew he was going to bust out Lafreniere's shooting percentage is really high mm. he's actually been a, a lucky shooter which is terrifying because under the hood his under the hood his numbers he's been a very poor chance generator generator so far in his career even though he's been playing mostly with high quality line mates mm -hmm. and on the like if you look by comparison Capocaco his under the hood numbers are really strong it's showing a lot of improvement so mm -hmm. he's the guy i think is going to break out really soon because he's doing a lot of things well even if he's not scoring, he's yeah. showing signs of being effective at both ends of the ice, two-way player. So to me, he's kind of, Kako is doing kind of what Jack Hughes did last year, where you could see it coming. Mm -hmm. Whereas Lafreniere, he's not really showing those signs yet. But the problem is, and you alluded to this already, it's the role. And you do get a chicken and egg situation in which, uh, it's, this is kind of similar to Sam Bennett in Calgary. It's the player is not doing very well, so the team doesn't play him, and the player keeps not doing well, so the team doesn't play him, and the right. player keeps, it goes on and on and on. It, it's at a certain point, you need the team to place some trust in the player, give him more ice time, because if you look at Lafreniere, I think of the tweet was from Jack Fraser, Jay Fresh Hockey, was saying that, um, Lafreniere, I think he has the lowest ice time per game of the last 
13 or 14 first overall picks uh-huh. for his career so far. He's playing like 13 minutes a night. So he's never being trusted with a large role, so he's not getting a chance to spread his wings. And it is, like you said, it's sort of a victim of playing on a good team where they can't really afford to let him work through it. Yeah. If he was on the Coyotes, I'm sure he'd be playing 18 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. So the situation, I think, just hasn't been conducive to improvement, but there's no denying he has not been very good. Um, but again, I still blame the Rangers for not sending him to the World Juniors. That was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. I said it then. I felt strongly about it. Most people didn't agree with me, but I'm doubling down. I think the proof is in the pudding now. Lafreniere for Kessel. Who says no? Just kidding. <laughs> Might be a bit early. For okay. Well, this is an epic question. Okay. The next one is from Ralph Wiggum. And mm-hmm. Ralph wants to know, Matt, this is a question that, that's sort of divided specifically for both of our yes. tastes. Yes. It says, Matt, you are writing the screenplay and casting a hockey-based sequel to Space Jam. What NHLer do you cast in the lead? Which Warner Brothers characters play which positions on the ice? Okay, and the second half of the question is for Ryan. You are scoring the theme and soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Who do you get to perform the theme and who does the score? So I'm going to assume, let's start with the opening credits of the movie. So Ryan, you get the floor first. Who's okay. doing the soundtrack, the theme, the score? Okay, so uh, I'll start with the theme. I'm going with uh, Turnstile, the breakthrough Baltimore hardcore band. They're very upbeat, very up-tempo. Uh, they're not screamy, so it's like they can be mainstream enough to do a theme like that. So you would have some Turnstile on the soundtrack, also some Pup, which is the Toronto-based punk band. They're, they're big hockey fans as well. Um, and I think uh, they have enough of a, they have a great sense of humor as well. So they would get the sensibility of Space Jam. And then, you know, also on the soundtrack, I think you got to throw in some, some good hip hop. Uh, so like some ASAP Rocky, maybe some Vince Staples. Then the score, I got to trust it to a pro. So I'm going with the RZA. Yes, I was going to say, I was like, oh, please say the RZA. Got to yes, be the yes, RZA. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Again, you know, I mean, a guy that is has done movie scores before, has been an actor in movies. He knows the whole industry. <clears> and of course, he is the legendary mastermind behind Wu-Tang Clan. So that's that's my uh, all-star cast amazing. for the music. I know I go off on tangents a lot, but it just reminded me of an amazing Wu-Tang story. I had a buddy who was just going on vacation to Washington, D.C. with his wife like two or three years ago. They heard music in the distance during the day, and they were like, that sounds like Wu-Tang. And they walked over, and it was. And it wow. was Wu-Tang performing... And there were like kids in the show and they were trying not to swear. I, I swear, <laughs> I feel like I dreamt this. Like, I don't think this, I, I feel like I'm making this up. This right. sounds so ridiculous, but I swear. Right. Okay, so my Space Jam configuration. Casting the athlete is, of course, crucial. Yes. If you're going to base it on the way Space Jam did it, it was always the most iconic athlete in the sport at the time. So Michael Jordan, LeBron. But you can't have Connor McDavid in Space Jam. It would be a joyless slog. Yeah. No, there's no chance. No way. So you could go a superstar that has a bit more personality, Alex Ovechkin. I would consider Ovi. But to me, I want the better performance. And to me, if you're looking for the athlete that's going to actually deliver the line readings like they care, it's not even close. It's P.K. Subban by a, a landslide. If you look at that commercial, the Scotiabank commercial where he's tapping the table, this is where we belong. Right. That's a line reading you're going to get from almost no one. Brent Burns, I think, did it well in his Kit Kat commercials. Sure. But overall... It's almost like in the hockey culture, you're spo- you're going to get made fun of if you if you act like you care too much. Mm. It's like the equivalent of being in high school in, in the 90s. Oh, if you're in the drama club, people are going to make fun of you. Right. And I think hockey players, they deliver line meetings and commercials like almost deliberately wouldn't. P.K. Subban does not. Mm. He goes for it. So if you put him in Space Jam, he's going to give you an actual real acting performance, which I really enjoy. So Subban is my guy. 
So now, if you're looking at the starting lineup, Subban and the Looney Tunes characters. Yeah. So he's on right defense. Right. His defense partner in a Kale McCarr type role, or Quinn Hughes, is the Roadrunner. Sure. So Roadrunner's just going to carry that biscuit end to end. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Subban's going to have the big shot on the power play, the yeah. physical play. My forward line, Bugs Bunny is my first line center. Totally. Because he's a leader. Yeah. Also, he's going to chirp, 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 chirp nonstop. He's going to get another team's head, yeah. like Brad Marchand, but with his you know, Bugs Bunny voice, he's going to yeah. be all over the other team nonstop. Uh, and my other forwards, okay, I'm going to have uh, Wiley Coyote as my defensive specialist forward because he will sacrifice his body over and over <laughs> on the penalty kill. He'll blow himself up. Nice, he'll nice. do whatever you need. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he doesn't care. He has no regard for his personal safety. Yeah. Uh, my devastating four checker at the other wing position is the Tasmanian Devil. He's just of gonna, course. he's gonna, he's gonna be like Milan Lucic on Ryan Miller, just barreling through the net. Yes. So yeah. that's my that's my forward line. So it's Bugs Bunny center, and on the right wing Taz, on the left wing Wiley Coyote, mm. uh, and then you, you have PK Subban and Roadrunner on defense. And yeah. my goaltender is Foghorn Leghorn. He's got the size. Yeah. I know there's that also that giant like monster looking guy who looks like a tooth. Yeah, yeah. But he's almost so big he wouldn't be able to move around. Yeah. Whereas, I don't know if he has arms. Yeah, I don't think he has arms. Yeah. Whereas Foghorn Leghorn's got great size. Also Fog. Leghorn, Leghorn, possible uh, major influence with the referees. He's very vocal. I say, sure. I say that puck did not go in. It was goaltender interference. So he's going to be all over the referees. Got to go all the way over the line. Yes, exactly. So that's how I've broken it down. As you can tell, I put a lot of thought into it. Yeah. Because it was a fun question. That is a good one. I would also say, I think Nathan McKinnon could do it. Yeah, I thought about Because he him. has been on TV shows before. Yeah. And he, be, I think he would have the spirit for it. I considered him for sure. Yeah. Okay, so next question. This is from Kevin O'Brien. Give me your top five players not currently in the Hall of Fame. So they have to be passed yep. over. So you can't yep. say the Sedins or Roberto Longo or Carolyn Ouellette because they're right. in their first year eligibility. Yep. Um, so we'll start with you, Ryan. Who are your five? Okay, so hopefully I remember them all. Okay, so Alexander McGillney, that's the obvious one. I mean, tremendous goal scorer, but also historically important with his defection to North yes. America. So amazing player, and he's got like some historical weight to him. Rod Brindamore, I think he's the type of player that we appreciate more now than we even did when he was playing. He's got his cup, you know, I mean, he was premier defensive forward and got a ton of points. Um, and then I'm gonna go a couple of different ways here. I'm gonna go John Mayasich, who was not he never played in the NHL. This is uh, this is sort of the field of dreams category. Mm. But John Mayasich, Minnesota legend, uh, never lost a high school game if I'm not mistaken. Uh, first number ever retired by the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers, and basically he just played in an era when the NHL it was original six. They didn't look at American players and especially American college players. So he never really got his chance. He ended up just like managing a radio station for like years. And you know, he played in the minors and he like when the USHL was like a senior league. But he is like a titan of Minnesota hockey. Hmm. Still alive today, super influential. So I think he should be in the hall. Cool. Herb Carnegie, uh, sort of a similar situation, except you know because uh, of his race, he was never really given a shot at the NHL, but played for the Quebec Aces. Another legendary player back mm -hmm. in the day, uh, and you know, sort of one of those trailblazers that um, you know never got his chance, but certainly had the talent. And then uh, my third one in sort of of the five, I guess, uh, Menon Realm. 
who, mm-hmm. as we already mentioned, is going to be in the All-Star game. Another trailblazer, you know, playing in an exhibition game for the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, the influence she has had on the game, uh, I think, is incredible. And obviously, she was incredibly talented mm-hmm. uh, in the women's game internationally as well during her time. But the influence that Men on Ramos had... I don't think can be understated. So that's my five. Okay, I like the five. Very good. We we matched on two out of five. Um, so I do also have Alexander McGillney. Uh, we know the skill is elite, the 76 goal season, but also he played a lot of his career in the dead puck era and was one of the very few players of that era that could still regularly average better than a point per game. Yeah. So that was the equivalent, I think, in a previous era of being a perennial 100 point player. And I do think it's almost like you could make a case he could be inducted simultaneously as a player and builder because of the, totally. the trail he blazed. Rod Brindamore, to me, the minute Guy Carboneau got in the Hall of Fame, then you have to put Rod Brindamore in the Hall of Fame. Carboneau has multiple Selkies. And of course, he's a champion. Rod Brindamore has a Stanley Cup. He has two Selkie trophies, but he also has 1,100 points. Mm-hmm. So if Carbono's in, like to me, it should have just automatically, like something should have triggered like a clause right. that just puts Brindamore in immediately. Um, so those are the two we matched on. I will forever fight for Tom Barrasso, which is ironic because he would probably just tell me to F off and punch right. me in the face because he hates <laughs> the media. And that's not a reason to keep a player out of the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yes, he was prickly, but he has a Vezina trophy, Calder trophy, multiple Stanley Cups. He was one of the best goaltenders of his era. And I don't think, I think he is consistently overlooked mm. just because of his prickly demeanor. Um, I have Jen Botterill as well. So she's got three Olympic gold, five world championships, two-time world championship MVP. And I don't know if we can count amateur as part of the criteria for the Hall of Fame, but at the college level, she's one of the most decorated college players ever. I believe the only player to win the Patty Kazmaier twice, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that, listeners. Uh, and to me, because women have had fewer opportunities in the game, I think it's only fair to count college accomplishments when, when sure. assessing their Hall credentials, especially because she played in era where the pro circuit of women's game was less prominent right yep. at the start of her career so to me i think jen bottero it's time for her to get her due my last one is keith kachuk to mm. me if someone like clark jillies can be in the hall of fame and r.i.p clark jillies yes it was his role in the dynasty was huge but keith kachuk it was almost like Clark Jillies without the championships. He had a very similar skill set. He was big. He was a goal scorer. He was mean. You did not want to mess with Keith Kachuk. He's 33rd all-time in goals, more than 500 goals, and he's 41st in penalty minutes. So to me, he's just such a unique combination of, of true power forward skills. Right. I think he's been overlooked as well. So McGillney, Barrasso, Brindamore, Botterill, and Keith Kachuk are my five. Right on. Next question is from Basil Koo. Basil wants to know, how worried should Hawks fans be about Kirby Duck? So it's tough. Kirby Doc is someone who just can't, he can't get started. He can't get his career off the ground because I, I think because of circumstances that have been largely uh, beyond his control. Mm-hmm. So of course, the broken wrist of the World Juniors really set him back. It could have been a really promising season for him last year. And just the turmoil all around him in Chicago, obviously it's reflective of the era that preceded him, so it's not like he had any involvement in what happened with Kyle Beach, mm-hmm. but he's there. And you know the Blackhawks, they obviously have a new general manager or interim general manager and then they have a coaching change mid-season there's just no continuity there mm. for Kirby Doc right now so it's got to be hard for him to feel secure we also know that he recently deleted all his social media to try and clear his head so I think mentally he just hasn't had a stable environment yet to sort of spread his wings mm. also he's a big guy big centers like that sometimes take a little bit longer to totally. mature so if we're comparing him even to let's say Alexi Lafreniere's situation I'm less worried about Kirby Doc at the moment mm. I just think he hasn't had a fair setup yet in his NHL career. He just needs a normal non-COVID season without a coaching change, without a GM change, without a major injury. Yeah. If he can get through just a normal season like that, then I think we're going to see growth. 
Yeah. And you know, the thing that's interesting about Kirby Doc is that we didn't expect him to get to the NHL as soon as he did. I mean, he basically earned his way onto that roster, um, you know, right away. And it's like, that was kind of bonus. You know, it's like only now should we really be thinking about Kirby Doc as an NHLer, but he's already had all this past experience. So, I mean, if you want to be like a glass half full person, then it's like Kirby Doc has all this bonus experience. And now moving forward, you say, okay, let's set the table for this young man. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, because he's a big guy, you have sort of what I call the Joe Thornton factor, uh, where it's like, yeah, the, even these elite players, you give them a couple more years, mm -hmm. and Vincent LeCavalier yeah, would be very too. similar. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think with Kirby Doc, you say, okay, you know, starting next season, let's see where he goes. Everything else has been kind of bonus. Mm -hmm. Well said. Uh, next question from Kyle Congdon. Kyle wants to know, or wants us to do this. He has a task for us. Mm. Create your ultimate NHL player by combining the skill sets of five different players. So mm. hands, speed, whatever you want to use. So yes. you go first, Mr. Kennedy. Okay, yes. So this, this caused me to do some research. So I will start off skating, obviously, Connor McDavid. Uh, shot slash release, Austin Matthews. Vision and playmaking, Nikita Kucherov. Uh, defensive acumen, Patrice Bergeron. And then power, just as a general, you know, power physicality, Nathan McKinnon. Right. I feel that is the, that is the, yeah, and obviously they would be a center. That's an unstoppable force of nature. For sure. And it's interesting. I don't know why, but I treated it as all time. So I, I drew, oh, from, I drew okay. from all eras. Like, it doesn't say that in the question, but for some reason I just... But it doesn't not say doesn't it. doesn't not say it. That's yeah. right. I'm kind of jealous of the Matthews wrist shot. I kind of want to change my answer, but mm. I won't. Uh, so for the speed and skating, I do have, of course, Connor McDavid. Yeah. Um, for the pure stick handling ability, and just not just stick handling, but stick. Sure. Pavel Datsyuk, because it's the dangling ability that's as good as Connor McDavid's, but mm. also on defense, the active stick, the yeah. ability to intercept passes to strip other players. So the, the Pavel Datsyuk stick makes him a good two-way player, mm -hmm. this guy I'm creating. Um, then I've got Wayne Gretzky's mind, just there's no one better in my mind all time for vision. I have Mario Lemieux's body, mm -hmm. six foot four, but also agile, big. So he's skating like Connor McDavid, but he's 6'4", 230, like right. Lemieux, hard person to stop. And I have Joe Sackick for the shot because it's deceptive. Uh -huh. And Matthews' shot. I was going to put Ovi, but at least uh, Ovi's shot, you always know what's coming. I mean, he still scores anyways. But <laughs> he just gets that. Yeah, I want my player to be more deceptive sure. when you're not expecting the shot. Yeah. So Joe Sackick. But Matthews' shot is very similar, I think, in terms of its effectiveness. Yeah. Fun question. Yeah. Okay. Next question is from Scott Baker. If you were building the business of the NHL from scratch based solely on your opinion of how it should operate... What about the current model would be significantly different? The questions are the great questions for this Meaty episode. questions. Yeah, lo loving the questions. So yeah. what I wrote down in all caps was make the game more open. And what I mean by more open, yes, it, it would be on the ice. I would take away offside calls, whatever. Sure. But to me, it's more about giving the players more freedom to express themselves, doing things like bring, bring back the all-star game draft where players can drink whatever they need to do to get their personalities to come yeah. out. Mimic the NBA, create more of a star system in which it's okay to stand out and be individual, encourage players to use their social media more, get away from this sort of conformist hockey culture, which I think causes a lot of the problems. And I've talked about it a lot before, you know, the racism, the homophobia, but the conformity problem goes so far that just the idea that that skating a lap by yourself is a punishment for a rookie, it's like standing out in any way is considered bad in hockey. It's, it's so ingrained in the culture. I want to do away with that. I like the way the NBA does it where... Stars can be stars. You can differentiate personalities. And I would bring in the crew that made the Netflix Formula One show 
to make an yeah. NHL show. They're doing a PGA one, which is going to be exciting too. I know we've gotten 24-7, but I want this to be the crew that did the Formula One. I think they did a better job getting behind the curtain and showing the seedier side. Steven will have opinions on that for sure, but because yeah. um, he's a big racing guy. But I, I just like, like the fact so yeah, he is a purist. <laughs> but again, that kind of answers my question. I'm not looking for purists. I'm trying to get new fans right. that are, are attracted to whatever they're seeing and it's something more exciting with more personality. So mm. that's sort of my business model for the NHL. Okay. Uh, this is good because I went totally different direction cool. on this. Okay, so get rid of the instigator. Uh, get rid of the salary cap. You can have some kind of luxury tax if you want. Uh, but also, since we're starting from scratch here, relegation. I want relegation. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, it's so much fun. And you know, watching Ted Lasso when they were having the discussion, it's like, well, what you know, what do American teams do when they're out? It's like, ah, hey, you just play with the string and whatever, you know. Um, but I would love yeah. to see relegation. You know, as it is now, you can't do it because all the NHL teams are affiliated with AHL teams. But what if they weren't? What if the Hershey Bears were in the NHL and, you know, the Arizona Coyotes or Montreal Canadiens? <laughs> what if the Montreal Canadiens got relegated? Woo! That would be the biggest story in sports. The city would burn. It probably would. Uh, I mean, it burns anytime Guns N' Roses plays there. So that wouldn't be like, you know, it wouldn't be like out of character. Um, but, I mean, how, and, and think about it, like, in recent years, the Toronto Maple Leafs could have been relegated. The Pittsburgh Penguins could have been relegated. You'd have to figure out, I guess, like transfers and stuff because you don't want like Connor Bedard in the AHL yeah. because he was drafted by a team that got relegated. But you figure that out. But I mean, relegation, they do it with a lot of European hockey leagues already. And it's super exciting. Um, so that would be something that if you're starting from scratch, I would love to see that. I dig it. Excellent. Okay, next one is from r underscore r underscore zero zero. Possibly a robot that sent us a question? What is your favorite hockey-related video game? That's the question. Right. Uh, I'm old. It's Blades of Steel. Uh, I never I never got into the the NHL games. Like even I know 94 is a classic, but I was just never into the style and the gameplay. Personal preference. I know they're the most successful of all time. But for me, Blades of Steel was like the be all end all. You could fight. You had your little intermission games that you could play. And I just, I liked the gameplay. Like I said, I'm not a big, like, sports game guy. Um, but Blades of Steel is my favorite. Always has been. Probably always will be. And one of the all-time questions in hockey is what is the announcer saying? Hits the pass! Hits the pass! Is it hits the pass? Probably. I think that's what the announcer says in I Blades I literally of Steel. haven't played it in, like... 25, yep. 30 years. Every pass, every time you pass the puck, it's hits the pass, hits the pass. And I never knew what the announcer was saying. So NHL 94, it's, just, it's almost too easy. I can say that. It's probably the truth. Uh, I think it is the GOAT hockey video game. Um, and I was saying the other day when I was at the, the Leafs game with no crowd, I was like, they should use NHL 94 crowd noise for this instead of the, the fake noise they were pumping in. But to be a little more creative, uh, a couple other versions I want to shout out. NHL 2004 was a great game. Obviously, the soundtrack is legendary from that game, but the gameplay itself was great. There were goalie fights for the first time in that game nice. as well. Uh, and I do think there was a significant jump uh, to NHL 2008 as well. I, I think that was when, around the time that like the Xbox... Xbox 360 came out and I thought that the gameplay that we reached there I don't think the game has really improved like 08 and 09 the gameplay I think overall never got better after that and mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's, yeah I think I think 11 was still the engine was still similar to 08 and 09 but to me the like the gap between 07 and 08 was huge mm. and I think the graphics as well like they've gotten better but I don't think they're they're staggeringly good 
it's the law of diminishing returns with, right. with the look of the game, right? So, okay, next one is from Ryan. What is the best optics turn for a team in the last 25 years? So that's that's the 96-97 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, w- I would have said maybe Colorado, but that's that was uh, 26 years ago. So last yeah. 25 years, to me, I think it's almost too easy to say the Tampa Bay Lightning because 25 years ago, the franchise was just getting started. So, of course, in the Jeff Vinnick era, they're going to look much better compared to them. Mm. Compared to then. Uh, so I'm going to say the Washington Capitals. If you look at them 25 years ago, they weren't really a prestige franchise. They've been around for a fair amount of time. They had some competitive teams in the 80s, of course. Yeah. Uh, but they, uh, they weren't really a, a marquee franchise that people were excited to see. And mm. now, of course, in the Alex Ovechkin era, they have become absolutely that. They've won a Stanley Cup. They have really passionate ownership with Ted Leonsis, and they've sort of been, been trailblazers. I've said that before in a recent episode, whether it's esports or, or sports betting, they're kind mm-hmm. of ahead of the curve. So to me... Uh, the Capitals are the, the team that's had the biggest optics turnaround. Yeah, Washington was certainly one I looked at as well, but I'm going to go with Nashville, mm. and it's a more recent optics turn because for years, a lot of hockey fans, a lot of hockey media, particularly in Canada, would look at Nashville ownership and say, oh, you know, it's not going to last. They don't have enough money. You know, they can never keep their guys. Um, you know, people don't want to play there. Like, keep in mind, like, the very first, like, free agent, that, like, sort of marquee, quote, unquote, free agent was Mike Fisher. Uh, and it was only yeah. because, like, he had ties to the country music scene through Carrie Underwood. Yeah. Um, but then you look in the past couple of years, especially when they went to the Stanley Cup final, Smashville's a thing now. Now everybody wants to go to Nashville. In maybe not necessarily players, although you know it is a pretty nice destination because they have been successful. But like fans want to go to Nashville. Everybody in the media, media wants to go, oh yeah, to, Nashville. I want to go back to Nashville. Everybody loves Nashville because you've got you know that Broadway strip right next to the arena. You know you have all the great food and everything like that. Um, you know, you have the great atmosphere surrounding the team. You know, they smash the car in front of the arena and stuff like that. Um, and, and obviously, they've been even more competitive than we expected this season. But I, I think Nashville, the fact that they've found an identity and that you have, like, marquee NCAA teams playing neutral site games in Nashville, that, to me, is mm. uh, an incredible optics turnaround where it was, before it was like, Ah, it's expand. They don't get it. Expansion team, the ownership, whatever. Now it's like, no, no. We all want to go to Nashville. We all want to be part of this experience, and everything's going great. Yeah, that's a good answer. Maybe that's a better answer because even you think about whether I think it was maybe a decade ago, Jim Balsilli possibly moving them to Hamilton. Yeah, it was Hamilton, I think. Right? It was supposed to be Hamilton. Yeah. So there you go. Good answer. Uh, Next, we we have two questions to go here. Next one is from MNGGO three GWO. So again, another robot, or maybe maybe this is like a GM's burner account. Um, And this question is: Should we expect a busy trade deadline? Mm. You know what? I think it will be busy because. There's so much stratification in the NHL right now. You know, like we were joking in our, uh, you know, the other day that the playoffs are basically set other than in the Pacific Division. Mm -hmm. Like there's such a wide gulf between teams that there's really not a lot to figure out right now. So you're going to have a lot of sellers. You're going to have a lot of buyers. You know, you have distinct markets now. There's not much of a middle. Uh, The salary cap, obviously a consideration. Uh, That might slow things down a little bit, but you can always bring a third team in if you need to deal with salary and things like that. 
So, yeah, I think it could be pretty busy. I don't know how high-end it'll necessarily mm -hmm, be, mm -hmm. but I can see a lot of moves happening because everybody's in on it. Yeah, you're right about the standings. It's funny, uh, our upcoming issue, the Hockey News, is the rookie issue, and I was talking to DeMort Sider for it, and he was talking about wanting to make the playoffs, and I was like, ah, who's going to tell him? Like, the Wings, they, they've been pretty good, but they're still so far behind the yeah. standings because there's this weird top-heavy power structure, especially in the East. Um, so based on that, I agree. We could see very defined seller and buyer teams, which should facilitate trading. The only thing is, I think offsetting that is, I don't, I don't feel like it's a super robust trade market for mm -hmm. big, big names. Yeah. You have Phil Kessel, Claude Giroux, if he's willing to waive his no-moving clause. Thomas Hurdle, if the Sharks are not in contention, but they're in the Pacific, which is still competitive. Yep. You have Marc-Andre Fleury. But other than that, you're kind of just waiting. And I, that's the weird part. The teams that might actually have impactful pieces are the teams that are not out of the hunt yet. Uh, and there, there are many of those teams, but there are still a few. So Dallas with John Klingberg, Vancouver with JT Miller, for example. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I'm don't. i going to say we're going to get a normal amount of activity, not more or less. So helping it will be the fact that there is a lot of there are a lot of playoff spots already determined, but going against it, I don't know how many big names are going to be available on the mm. market. And our last question comes from Brandon Odell. Brandon wants to know, is there any chance the Coyotes might relocate to Atlanta? If not, does Atlanta ever get another crack in a future expansion? So I believe the Thrashers were in existence for 11 seasons. I think it was 99 to 2011. Okay. 99, 2000 to 2010, 11, so 11 seasons, I believe. Um, I, I think that the Thrashers blew their chance. Uh, they regularly dipped below 13,000 fans a game, or, or, or maybe around 13,000 fans a game. And I was looking it up, and in terms of U.S. sports market, Atlanta is the seventh biggest. So to me, it's inexcusable mm. if you're really trying to sustain a franchise for them to have attendance that poor. So to me, hockey just didn't catch on. Mm. And I don't know why the NHL would be confident in trying again when the numbers were that poor. The team missed the playoffs 10 of 11 seasons. That didn't help, I'm sure. It got swept in the other one. Yes, exactly. Um, but what I don't understand, though, I'm going I'm to pivot here and just take a shot at the Coyotes. <laughs> it's The Coyotes' attendance history is worse than the Thrashers. Why? Why, NHL? Why do you keep trying to keep this thing alive? I don't understand it. Mm. Literally, the attendance numbers have dipped to a lower level in terms of average attendance than the Thrashers ever did. Mm. And you're still just trying to breathe life into this thing. I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, I think the one difference is that, you know, the Atlanta owners who also owned the Hawks at the time from the NBA hated <laughs> each other. And they imploded over the Hawks, and the Thrashers were a casualty of that. Uh, whereas the Coyotes, they have a brand new owner who has a lot of money and has the faith of Gary Batman. So that would be the one difference there. Uh, having said that, this would actually be the third time Atlanta would have an NHL team because, of course, the Flames were there before they moved to Calgary. Two strikes is actually too much. This ain't baseball. You don't get a third strike. As much as I would love... To have an excuse to go to Atlanta, because uh, just in terms of pop culture, I really want lemon pepper wings I was now. Say, you're going to talk. About, he's going to talk about lemon pepper wings. Yeah, right now, right now. yeah. Ever since I saw that episode of Atlanta, I've been very intrigued, uh, and now I have no reason to go to Atlanta. I also feel that Atlanta's like not a good sports town. Um, they've never seen, you know, like they've had teams that have been like successful. And they do have the reigning World Series champions. Big yeah, Mavericks. but they don't even play in the city, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you got the Falcons and the Hawks, but it felt like, you know, and then there's like a lot of college support. 
Um, but it feels like Atlanta's never been like a really hardcore sports city for whatever reason. I guess they just have too many other things to do that are interesting. Um, or maybe it's just everything's so like split. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think Atlanta's going to happen again. As okay. much as I would like it to because I love the South. Yep, I, I agree. Well, that concludes the all-listener episode. It was really fun. I think, listeners, you really brought up the questions. I really enjoyed doing this one with you. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll do it again during the summer. Maybe uh, after free agency dies down, we have sort of that, that lull period. It's always a good time to try it again, so we will do it again. Thank you, everybody. It was a lot of fun. We'll be back next week. Fantasy podcast coming later this week as well. 